I have decided this morning uh, to sit um, for no deep theological reasons um, other than I was, you know, as I was kind of preparing this week, when I was, when I was in seminary, when I was still a student, I, um, each summer that I was in school up in North Carolina, had an opportunity to um, basically intern. It wasn't quite an intern because we got scholarship money to do it. But they would, um, and I think I've told you before, they would um, farm us out, if you will, to churches throughout mostly North Carolina, a lot of the rural churches. And we would work in the churches for the summer. A lot of times, at least in my case, it was always with uh, a pastor, a senior pastor of the church. And it was kind of a, a, a way to get some valuable ministry experience. But, but I used to laugh, and it, it was fairly common that we'd, with my, both myself and, and colleagues, is we'd get opportunities to preach in these churches. The pastors would give us, you know, a few Sundays over the course of the summer to preach. And uh, inevitably, people would come up to us because we were students, and we weren't ordained, and we didn't have the proper stoles, or we didn't wear the robes, or whatever it would be. And they'd come up to us afterward, and they'd say, that was a good talk. It was a good talk. It was never it was a good sermon. They would tell the pastor the ordain- that that was a good sermon, but as a student, there was something, I guess, in their mind kind of magical about the sermon words. So you didn't give that to the students. We talked, the pastor preached. And uh, it happens to some of my colleagues in ministry happen to be women. They get this all the time, too. Well, it was a good talk um, rather than it was a good sermon. And I don't think there was any ill intent to it. But I was, I was just kind of thinking about that. And you know, really, quite honestly, that's kind of what I hope it feels like every week. That, that in many ways, that it feels like that we've had a chance every Sunday in these few moments to talk. I know I'm the one doing all the speaking, generally, but that you feel that it's been more of a conversation than it has been a lecture. And um, a lot of times, what, what a sermon is, what you get is really, you just get insight into the mental conversations I have during the week. Um, the ones I can share with you, anyway. Um, and that's, that's what this is. And this morning, I, all of that to say, I, I decided to, to sit down because it really feels that way this morning, that this is more just a conversation that I, I want to have as, as I've wrestled with um, the Scripture this morning. And um, it ties in a little bit. As I said, I would talk about what's going on outside this morning. Um, if you had a chance to, to talk on your way in with some of the folks in the tents or take note of what that is, we, we've got a, we're doing a ministry fair this morning, and that's why you have these inserts in your bulletin that talk about a number of the ministries that we have here at the church, opportunities to connect and get involved. And, um, you know, our prayer is that as the years go by, this thing gets bigger and bigger. That's, that's what we want to have happen. It's bigger now than it was a couple of years ago. And we pray, you know, in years to come, it'll, we're going to have to make it larger or add pages. But it's out in these tents are representatives of people that are engaged in children's ministry, worship ministries, food ministries, thrift stores. And the idea is we talk about these things all the time. But we wanted to try to give an opportunity for you if you desire to have some conversations with people and learn more about it. Uh, we, we, there's opportunities to sign up if you're interested in being a part of those ministries, but, but you're not obligated. The, the, heartbeat, the heart behind it is just for you to be able to have a conversation and see the ways that you may be called to get in, engaged and get involved. Um, because we have a lot of choices that we make every day with the things that we do with our lives. 
and the ways that we invest ourselves. And that kind of leads into to what I want to kind of focus in on with the scriptures this morning. It's this idea of choices and the kind of choices that are before us and the kind of choices that we make. And so our, our scripture this morning comes from Acts chapter 2. Now it's 14 through 41. I'm going to skip through some of the chapter um, this morning, but um, I want to hit some of the, the, what I, for at least for our purpose this morning, what some of the focal um, verses are. So I'm going to begin right here, verse 14. Now this is, if you're not familiar with context, this is the day of Pentecost. This is the day that we um, credit as the birth of the church. Because in the moments or in the days prior to this, these disciples, these followers of Jesus, if you remember the, the narrative, have been kind of holed up in the upper room. They've been in Jerusalem, and they're waiting for this promise of the Holy Spirit that Jesus had offered them. And on this day it comes, and the Holy Spirit falls upon them in the tongues of fire. And, and this is what I consider one of the most powerful witnesses to the truth of the resurrection. And it is what happens in the lives of these followers of Jesus. Because this was the same group of, of men and, and some women as well that in the days prior had been scared to death for their life. In the aftermath of the crucifixion of Jesus, they'd run and hid because they were afraid by being associated with Jesus that they would be arrested and they would be executed and they would be branded a criminal of the state. And so they'd been afraid to be known for who they were. And in the coming of the Holy Spirit and the power that comes upon them, things change. And all of a sudden, that, scared of group or that group of scared disciples flood the streets and they begin to proclaim the resurrection of Jesus. And Peter, as is his role, steps to the forefront as kind of the leader of this group. And that's, that's where we pick up the, 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 the story. Verse 14. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. Let me pause for a moment because that's kind of significant. What's happened is, if you, if you remember, when they start to go into the streets, Jerusalem is filled. It's, it's one of the festivals, and it's filled with people of a variety of different languages, Jews from around the Mediterranean world. They speak different languages, but all of them, the scriptures say, understood what the disciples were saying in their own language. This is the, the gift of tongues, if you will, as we understood it in Acts. They all understood. And so they're trying to do exactly what you would try to do, what I would try to do. They're trying to explain it. How is this possible? Because they're not going to credit, at this point, God and a miracle. They're trying to make sense of what they're hearing. And so their theory is they've been drinking. That's the best they could come up with. They're drunk. Now, not to make light of this, but I've been around people who have imbibed too much alcohol. I've never seen anybody become more coherent as the night goes on, start to speak more clearly. But that's what they're supposing, that all of a sudden they've been drinking, so now they can speak in all these languages. And, and Peter says, no, that's, that's not the case. Exactly. In fact, in one of my favorite little lines in Scripture, he says, it's only nine in the morning. You can read into that what you want to, but it's only nine. Um, no, he says, this is what... Then he goes on to quote some of the, the Old Testament prophets. He want to skip to 22. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders of signs, which God did among you through him. Hold on to this phrase in your mind as you yourselves know. 
I'm going to come back to that. As you yourselves know, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Moving to verse 29. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him an oath that he would place one of his descendants on the throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he's received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out on us what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the other apostle, apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Brothers and sisters, we pray God's blessing upon the reading of his word. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, cut us to the heart by your word and enliven our spirits in faith and move us forward in our walk with Christ. Just challenge us today. Just speak a word that challenges us and empowers us by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus we pray. Amen. So, I said I, I was wrestling with choices. That, that's kind of the framework of what I, I started thinking about as I had read this scripture, as I began to prepare for the message today. And the reality is that we love choices. We love the fact, we celebrate that we live in a country where we're free to choose. We can choose to, to some extent our path. Uh, you know, we make choices every day about the things we do, the things we don't want to do, and, and we kind of celebrate and... and um, just uh, hold sacred that, that freedom that we have uh, to make choices. And if you think about that, we have a tendency sometimes, at least I do, to think of choices as an either-or. When you have a choice, you choose A or you choose B. You choose right, you choose left, you choose up, you choose down. It's one or the other. And, and so we kind of create, it's, it's like the fork in the road. Was it Yogi Berra that said, when you come to a fork in the road, take it? Okay. The reality is that's what we like. That's what we prize. We, 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 in our heads, we say it's an either-or, but we love the idea that we can have both and. Uh, the, the proverbial statement um, that you want your cake, you can have your cake and eat it too. That's what we want. We want to have our cake and eat it too, which I always thought was a silly statement. Because if you have your cake, of course you're going to eat your cake. What's the point of having the cake? But because I'm a nerd and I went back and started researching where that proverb came from, it basically speaks to, it says, they said the better translation would be, you can't eat your cake and have it too. You know, if once you've eaten it, it's gone. You can't have both. But, but we want both. 
You know, we want to, to have the best of both worlds. The other illustration I, that really spoke to me was, because this is how I am, I am most productive in the morning. That is my most productive time of day. I've shared that with you before. But I also love to sleep in. There's a problem. You know, you get one or the other, your choice. You either get up and be productive or you sleep in and get nothing done. But, but we live in a country and we, by our own nature, try to have the best of both worlds. I think that's human nature. I mean, think about it. We live in a country that is the number one nation in the world in the consumption of diet pills, diet programs, and get skinny kind of promises. We consume those more than any nation in the world. And we are the number one nation in the consumption of high-fat, high-calorie, unhealthy food. Both and. I mean, think about it. And I've done this, so I'm not, I'm not criticizing, but, but really... I have gone to the counter, and I know I'm not alone, at a McDonald's before and got the super value meal with a Diet Coke. I mean, that's what we do. Well, I can counterbalance that. We like the both. We, 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 we love fuel economy. We love hybrid cars. We love saving gas, and we will park it in our driveway right next to our large SUV. That's what we do, both and kind of stuff. And, um, and that's not always so bad because sometimes life gives us the option to look at our choices in that way, to have a a bigger scope of understanding. Now, maybe that are far more significant than those examples. I was thinking about this on Sunday afternoon. I told you last week, if you're here, that I was flying out to to Atlanta, and I was at a conference last week. And and so I I was flying Delta. Anybody work for Delta? (laughs) Just making sure. Because the, the flight had gotten delayed, and I, it was funny on the way back, because I, I was in Atlanta, and if you fly through, if you've ever been to Atlanta, you know that's a Delta hub. So when you're in the Delta wing, they're Delta, Delta, Delta. And um, <laughs> may I help you, help you, help you? So, sorry, I don't know if you get that or not. But um, I'm walking by, and it literally, almost like every gate I went by as I'm walking to the furthest spot in the airport possible, because that's my luck, uh, I hear... Ladies and gentlemen, we apologize for the delay in Delta flight XYXY, you know, and that repeated all the way through. And uh, somebody told me uh, that Delta has a, a new slogan that says, um, we're not happy until you're not happy. Um, so anyway, um, I'm sitting on the flight in Tampa last Sunday afternoon, and uh, we'd gotten on, we were late, and the flight, we got delayed on at the gate because there were mechanical issues. And they came on and said that they, they could not get the, one of the back doors to close. You know, one of the doors they to load on the, the drinks and food or, or pretzels or whatever. They couldn't get it to close properly. Which, um, yeah, the little, you know, the little bag of pretzels. And um, at ground level, a door not closing properly is not an issue. But at 35,000 feet, it could be a problem. And so I'm sitting there and, and you know, just, just kind of... I'm feeling, this is no lie, I'm feeling the plane vibrate and shake because I was in the back from them trying to jam the door shut. I mean, I'm listening, bam, bam, they're trying to slam it shut. I look out the window, if I see duct tape anywhere, I'm off this plane. <laughs> um, but, but, but I'm sitting there, so I'm trying to make the most of the time, uh, most use of my time. And I'm thinking about my life, and I'm kind of getting introspective a little bit. And it's not because I had a premonition that anything bad was going to happen. I got in a lot of trouble, if you were here last week, for the tube of death comment that I made about flying on that plane. Um, I, I had no fears. I wasn't, wasn't panicked or anything, but I was just, I was, I was contemplating. I was going into um, deep thoughts, you know, kind of thing. And um, so I'm thinking about life, and I'm thinking about the choices that we make. 
and I'm reflecting upon the scripture this morning. And there's a speaker somewhere, um, I think his name is Brian Tracy, that I, that I read this from, but that said all of our choices in life boil down to four options. He said that the choices in life, you have four options in any situation. You can choose to do more of something. You can choose to do less of something. You can choose to start something, or you can choose to stop something. But everything we do comes down to, to those kind of four options. Do more, do less, start or stop. So I had that rubric in my mind, and I started to look at the Scripture in preparation for this week. I started to think, do we see that? Do we see the kind of... Because I think what Peter's doing here is he's laying a choice to the people. And this is a repetitive pattern in the Scriptures. God often, choose this day. Remember Joshua to the people of Israel. Choose this day who you will serve. And I think that's what Peter's doing. And so he's laying choices. Now he starts off with the obvious. He starts off with a stop, or at least a do less of. And that is the first thing that we encounter in the Scriptures is the way that the people were dismissing the disciples. Something miraculous is happening. Something beyond explanation is happening. God is using these disciples in powerful ways. The Holy Spirit's poured upon them. And, and the crowd begins to try to rationalize it away. They begin to dismiss them. They say, well, they're drunk. They've just been drinking. But the point is, they're trying to push aside what they can't explain. And so I think, you know, we do that. I mean, if we're honest, we do that. We do it in more subtle ways. But when we see people that have achieved something that we envy, somebody that has achieved something professionally that we wish we could achieve, something has, has a... The, the perfect family, which we know don't exist, but for the sake of the way we view others sometimes, the perfect marriage, the perfect family, the perfect economic situation, we, we, we rationalize it. Well, they've gotten all the good breaks, or they were born lucky, or um, they've been on that. I mean, we, we do this, and as a, most of us are subtle enough not to do it out loud, but we start to think they didn't really earn that, and, and we, we kind of... We kind of relegate them to the side because somehow it makes us feel a little bit better. Am I the only one that does this? <laughs> and so we, we fall into that. And that's what, what somewhat's happening here. And that they're saying the disciples are drunk. This there's, that can be the only explanation. And, and Peter says, stop that. Stop. Stop casting dispersions on what you don't understand. Stop casting dispersions on that which maybe you wish you were a part of. Listen to what I have to say. And, and then it gets into the more significant portion. And I want to go back to verse 22. It says, Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him. And then here is the verse I said, hold on to. As you yourselves know. And, and that is significant, as you yourselves know. See, we have a, a tendency, I have a tendency to think Peter's preaching to a bunch of people, as would become the kind of the story of the church, who had never heard about Jesus. Yeah, that's what Paul does. Paul takes the gospel into the Mediterranean and he introduces people to Jesus who'd never heard about Jesus. But that verse reminded me of something. That's not this audience. This audience knew who Jesus was. They'd probably seen Jesus, and if they hadn't seen him, they'd heard about his ministry. They're in Jerusalem. It was only a, a few you know, weeks prior to that Jesus had been crucified. So he says to them, you Jewish people, because he's talking to his people. This is the, the Jewish nation. These are Jews from around the world. He says, you Jewish people who are looking for the Messiah, who are waiting for the promised ones, who are seeking the blessing that you have 
put your hope in that God is going to bring before us, stop missing it. Stop missing it. The blessing that you yourselves know. What he's saying is that blessing's been right in front of you the whole time and you didn't see it. You didn't see it. You couldn't understand it. It didn't look the way you expected him to look. Jesus didn't say the things you expected him to say. The story didn't end the way you expected it to end. And you missed the blessing that God put right before you. And Peter is giving them an invitation to faith. It's not, even though he uses some harsh language. I mean, he says, you basically helped nail him to the cross. It's not a sermon of judgment. It's a sermon of invitation. Stop missing your blessing and respond. Start doing something. And that start is to believe. That start is to accept Christ as Messiah. That start, or that next thing then, and then continue, is to be baptized in the faith. Focus your eyes on what God has done and start to move forward in faith in the way that God is leading you to respond to what Jesus has done for you. It's a stop and a start. It's not a one or the other. It's a both and. Stop. Stop. Do this. Do more of this. It's an invitation of faith that Peter gives them. And I started to think about that in relation to my life. I started to think about that in relation to your life. Because some of us here today need that initial message. We need to hear Peter right as he was speaking to us. Jesus, the one who was crucified, who God has raised from the dead so that you may have life and you may have hope and you may have the promise. And Peter offers an invitation that some of us need to hear. Believe and be baptized. Move forward in your faith. But for others, we're we're not at that place necessarily. We've made that step. But this message still, at least it spoke to me, so I'm going to assume it has a word for you as well. Because I kept thinking about that stop and start message. I kept thinking about what Peter's saying to those people. They've missed their blessings. They've missed their blessings because they were looking somewhere else. They were focused on something else. They had their expectations set somewhere else. And I started to think about my life and how often I wonder that God says to me, stop looking in the wrong places for the blessings that are right in front of you. Stop focusing on the wrong things because you miss the blessing that God has for you. And let me tell you how this looks in my life because this week was a powerful reminder of my frailty and my weakness because I went to Atlanta and I went to this ministry conference at Mount Pisgah United Methodist Church and it is outside Alpharetta, Georgia and it is a beautiful church and you walk in and they have the best of everything. It's one of those churches. I mean, beautiful gathering space, great meeting rooms. You go into their, their sanctuary, and they have, you know, beautiful seats and, you know, balcony and lights and video. I mean, I'm just, ah. You know, I mean, it had the best of everything. And you start talking to other pastors, because these were pastors around the world, and you hear about what they're doing and how God's blessing their church and all the things they're accomplishing And my heart started to turn away and to see not what was in front of me, not the blessings I have, but what they had. And wow, I wish we were doing that. And I wish our space looked like that. And I wish, man, we've got, you know, and and this is what goes in my head. Man, how, I, I want that. I want what they got. And it was depressing. It was. I was not in a happy place. Because I'd stopped seeing the blessings I had. I t- and and I, I thank God. He did heart surgery right then in the first night of worship. The first night of worship that night, 
You know, there are times in my life I hear the voice of God, not in a booming cloud, but I hear it. And we were singing and we were worshiping. And, and I did something, I, I shared this with the leadership team, I did something I don't naturally do. It's not a natural expression of worship for me, but it's we're worship and we're singing one of the songs about letting go to God. I just raised my hand and I let go. I just let my hand go. And it was powerful for me because it reminded me, God's not called me to that. God has called me here. And we're blessed. We're absolutely blessed. And I'm blessed to be here. But I don't see that when I start looking at what everybody else has. Well, thank you. I wasn't fishing, but I appreciate it. <laughs> but here's what I think happens in your life, too. Now, maybe it's different. Maybe I'm sure it's different. But I would bet there are things in your life, there are people in your life, there are circumstances in your life that you see and you wish, I had that. I wish I was like them. I wish I had what they had. or had. And, and there's a natural human tendency there. And there's, it's okay to be learn from others, and be inspired by others. But the problem is when we do that, we stop seeing the blessing that's right in front of us. We like those first century Jews. They miss Jesus who's right in front of them. We miss Jesus who's right in front of us, who's pouring blessings into our lives because we become transfixed on what we want and what we see in others. Jesus says, see what I've done for you. Because the start part is stop missing and start doing. Because when you recognize you're blessed. See, what happened for me is all of a sudden in letting go and just learning and taking in, I went from being kind of a little depressed to being excited. I went to going, wow, no, I'm not we're not called to be them. We're not called to do, mess, do what they do. But we're called, and we're gifted, and there's a lot of potential, and God's doing wonderful things. And all of a sudden, I began to see the things that I could be doing in my life, the things I needed to be more engaged in personally in my walk with Christ and, and, and with my family and with my relationships and with my ministry. And the same is true for you. You know, when all of a sudden we start seeing how we're blessed, we become grateful. See, envy produces hearts of, I don't know if bitterness is the word I'm looking for, but certainly of discontent. Maybe that's the word I'm looking for. But when we count our blessings, we recognize what Christ has done. We've hearts of gratitude. And hearts of gratitude are wonderful because hearts of gratitude make difference in the world. They bless other people. They get engaged. They get involved. They pour into families and friends and churches and communities, and they make a difference. So I don't know what the stop and start is for you. I don't know what the do less of and do more of is for you, but the challenge is to take an inventory. Find a place to ask yourself those questions because all I can answer is for me. And I've shared some and some I'm not because some are deeply between me and God. But, but you have them too. You know, find the place, hopefully not on a plane that's trying to get a door fixed, but find a place to start asking yourself the questions. Am I more, more fixed on what I wish I had? Or do I see Jesus right in front of me? as you yourselves know, and I responding to that invitation. It's not an either or. It's an all of the above. It's an all of the above, and it's the invitation Christ still gives. Where are you looking? Where are you looking today? Look in the right places and let God do a little heart surgery. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, thank you that um, you never give up on us. You don't quit pursuing, calling, forgiving, filling, you know, in spite of 
our tendency and my tendency sometimes to see what I want rather than what I have. Um, thank you for grace that, that continues to use us. And I pray we be obedient to that. Follow your lead and, and birth in us hearts of gratitude because we see the blessings that are right in front of us. I pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen.